Good day and welcome to another episode of the Arena Craft Podcast, a show dedicated exclusively to Magic the Gathering Arena, now on Mac OS as well as PC. My name is Arjun, I'm one of your hosts. The other host is the one, the only, the inimitable Kova Go Blue. How are you doing today, my friend? What's up to the gamers? This week, we have some pretty exciting stuff to talk about with basically our first blush of the new standard format, I guess the new arena formats that M21 has introduced. So that's what we're going to be focusing on today. First of all, I just wanted to do a quick post-mortem from our early access event that we did. Exhibit A, if you want to see some fun games of Magic, including... Probably the most epic match CGB and I have yet played against each other. We're going to include a link to the show notes to CGB's, one of his latest videos, which features the whole thing. I have to say, I had a blast playing that event. So, so all right, so so we'll, we'll build up to it a little bit, but how did the event go for you, CGB? It went really good. I'm going to probably remember the amazing community feel and the interaction with Twitch chat is much or more than a lot of the decks that I played. Nice. <laughs> to be honest, um, the, it felt like I was either playing a deck that already existed with a couple of new cards and nothing super fresh, or I was in an epic grudge match with you. So it's <laughs> <laughs> kind of the two modes that I was in. Um, but uh, the, the Twitch chat was amazing. I've never had so many viewers. Had over 2,000 viewers. Wow. Point, which is insane for me. That's fantastic. I, I was averaging like 150 viewers a few months ago, so it's crazy. And we raised $1,510 for charity. Wow. For the Women's Resource Center in Grand Traverse County, for those wondering. so That's uh, so cool. It was a great show. And that's what I remember the most. That and Ugin. There was a lot of ugin going on there was a lot of that big u energy for sure yeah i mean yeah pretty unavoidable i have to say any card that might single-handedly bring tron back to arena i'm excited about i wouldn't play tron in modern because you know f that s but i think in standard the knobs are tweaked just right and uh we can we can all have fun playing the big u okay I'm just like, you know Tron is the lands, right? They call it Urzatron when you get three of them together. Uh, you, you know, we, Tron. Don't, we don't need to worry about all of this. Okay, okay. We have Lanawa Visionary, my friend. We have Palladium Mir. <laughs> I feel like Zoomer magicians think that Tron actually involves like the planeswalkers in that deck, and it's the lands, not the, not the yeah. other cards, but whatever. Yeah, it's exactly. Fine. But, you know, Tron, I mean, basically these days, Tron is just shorthand these days for I assembled the thing, right? You know, I, I, I got the lat. You know, so, so Tron and Standard these days is I assembled Cultivate into Nissa into Ugin. That's your, that's your holy trifecta right there. Sure. Okay. So, you know what's funny about that? So I was running, I was running a, a Nissa Tron deck with a, with a double Ugin package in it during the early access event. And the main takeaway that I got from that was there's a really powerful Planeswalker in Standard and its name is Nissa. So I, I was like, I was looking at my board states and like every game that I won with that deck, it wasn't 
either of my Ugins winning. It was just purely Nissa. So, so she's yeah, yeah. Tell me more about this card because I haven't heard of it, haven't seen it. Uh, seems like it's a very tame, normal Magic card for the most part. They spoiled it for M twenty one, and uh, it's this five mana green Planeswalker that that no one's played with before, and uh, it really has a profound effect on the game. Would you say it shakes the game? <laughs> it, Would you say it possibly shakes the world? I, you know, I think we need to upgrade it to Nissa rocks my world because that's oh my goodness. <laughs> that's pretty much that's pretty much what's going on these days. So yeah, Nissa confirmed still good in standard, especially when you're using her to power out the big Ugin. Ugin is just fantastic. One thing that we all have to remember with Ugin is that Ugin does exile colored cards and it does not exile colorless cards so when you have two or three nissa lands out and you ex and you hit that minus clause on the ugin you get to keep all of your lands and your opponent probably loses all of their permanence so you know there are just some nice nice things going on there definitely don't i i also watched this happen a bit where you know i would have like a number of colorless permanents on the battlefield like my palladium mirror or something like that and my opponent would hit that ugin expecting to wipe my board and it, it wasn't a good look so so yeah don't don't make that mistake the things that we learn in the current standard but th- that was one of the the fun decks that i got to play on that day definitely you know i tried some of the life gainy stuff and it was fun i wasn't able to make griffin airy look much better than a meme but i certainly tried and and had some fun with that card you know to be honest i will say that the most fun that i had all day was playing shrines in standard freaking shrines dude so what so why don't we talk about this match because this is this is pretty rad so i'm just tootling along playing my shrines deck and all of a sudden chat is like cgb and i was like what about cgb yeah he's a great guy what about him and they were like, no, CGB. And it took me like like almost a minute to realize that I was playing against you <laughs> in this game. Yeah, random queue up. Yeah, it's just intentional. You know, which I, I love how you, you, playing the same deck, you managed to get queued against both Crokies and myself, which I thought was, you know, is, is, is the, the ultimate trifecta of skilled magic players, shall we say. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean... To all credit to yourself, it's, it's like the skilled magic player and croakies, right? I'm 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 really holding up the average there for sure. So we start off into this game, and I quickly realize that you're playing a deck built around abusing two of the cards that we uh, kind of discussed might play well together, which was Niambi and Baron. So do you want to tell us a little bit about this ultra annoying deck that you put together? <laughs> Thanks for that. Yeah, um, all, annoying is a good way to put it. Uh, again, the YouTube video will be in the show notes for those who want to watch it, but it's a blue-white blink deck just cranked up to 11. It's a Yorian deck, and it has, like, Baron and Niambi just kind of crank the blinking to an to the next, next, next level because you can bounce your Baron and then bounce something else. You can bounce your Yorian and bounce everything. And this deck was... Just against you, I was just digging for Elspeth Conqueror's death and trying to keep them on the field. I, I mean, maybe I'm burying the lead. You want to talk about what happened. But it is just blue-white Yorian control with more bounce effects than ever before. So you, the opponent can't possibly keep something on the battlefield uh, at all. 
Well, and you know, that ended up being my deep frustration in that match was that I was like, there's only one card or aka there's only four cards in CGB's deck that are good against my deck that I'm at all worried about. And they are all named Elspeth Conquers Death. I managed to get two of them taken care of. I think one of them expired naturally. I managed to kill another one with Knights of Autumn. And I think I could have actually clenched that match if it weren't for those meddling two final ECDs that you managed to, like a true Yorian god gamer, just get off the top half of your deck with your with your full 80 cards there. So <laughs> so I, I was I was really impressed, CGB, with the quality of your play in being able to top deck all four of your ECDs in that match. Excuse me, top deck is too strong of a term. I scried countless amounts of cards to the bottom with my <laughs> omen of the sea again and again. And for you who want the visual of this match, picture that the last two Elspeth Conquers deaths are in play with a Yorian and a Nyambi. So I am blinking the Nyambi every, or I'm blinking the Nyambi and the two Elspeth Conquers deaths with the Yorian. And then Nyambi is returning the Yorian so I can do it again next turn. So these ECDs are never going to expire. Like they're just being blinked every single turn and never getting anything back. So that if you make the mistake of casting anything that is three or more, it will get exiled. And you even have to pay four more mana to cast it in the first place. And I was sure to tell chat, because I remember your episode with Danny West before I was the official co-host. Oh my god. That Elspeth Conquers Death. Well, let's revisit. Is it is it still your most hated card? I think I think he literally has his hand on it his head is in his hands on the desk right now. Uh, for those of you who, of course, cannot see this visual. Certainly from Theros Beyond Death, without a doubt, most hated card. I make my contention that Elspeth Conquer's Death is the best card printed in Theros Beyond Death. And I think that you demonstrated why, because its ability to deal with literally any problematic permanent that costs three or more mana, apart from the Hexproof Ones, which was the only card that I managed to keep on the battlefield against you, apart from my one and two mana shrines, was my, uh, was my dream trawler. So, yeah, I, I think the combination of ECD and Yorian is just like, I don't know, man. To be honest, it's, it's one of the reasons why I was calling for a Yorian ban with the last series of bans, because I was like, man, this is just, I don't know, Yorian's a messed up magic card. I'm all right dealing with ECD the normal way, which is like your opponent plays it, and then maybe if they get lucky, they bounce it with a Teferi. I'm like, okay, I can... I can hang with that, but once the once the Yorianing starts, <laughs> it gets a bit much for me. <laughs> and uh, so I did eventually succumb to CGB, but I won't spoil the game. You should go and watch it. It was quite an epic match. And I have to say, I think there were a few turns in the mid game where I was making you sweat with my Shrines deck. Uh, I was sweating, and I was also making sure to talk about the stakes and I know how badly <laughs> this podcast would go for me quite frankly if uh if I if I drop that game but also that game doesn't end the way that you are kind of anyway go yeah, watch yeah it. it has a surprise <laughs> twist so go go check that out definitely a banger for sure all right well so that was the early access event why don't we move along to talking about what we've been seeing so far in standard. Now, um, we were starting to talk about this before the show, and I thought that I would just get into it because it sounds like you and I have had very different experiences testing the format 
so far. Yesterday, I fired up my stream, I threw together a green-white counters deck, and, uh, you know, just jumped into the best of one queue in Mythic just to see what was happening on the ladder. And it was like... I mean, I didn't play against the same two decks pretty much the whole session. Maybe Mono Red was the only deck that I recognized as being the same deck. And so it was cool. It was really wonderful to see that kind of, it still felt like day one of the format, so to speak. But it also made it a little bit harder for me to really like get my finger on the pulse of what was happening on the ladder. Now, maybe if I'd played some best of three, I could have gotten a little bit more of a feel for the archetypes, but most of what I'm going to talk about today on the show is basically just what I've observed from people sharing on on Twitter, watching some other people's streams on Twitch, because frankly, all of my games have just been like, uh, just just wildly all over the map. Wow. Okay, yeah, that, that hasn't been my experience. Uh, same ladder as you, same rank too. I'm, I'm playing in Mythic and Best of One. And I took the launch day off of playing in ranked because everything was crashing. Like the, like I, what is it with their launch days? Like yeah, they are dude. never ready for launch day, right? Like when's the last time a launch day went by? Okay, so I never play ranked on launch day just because I don't want. I just don't want the stress of like if I'm disconnecting, trying to get back in in a ranked game. It feels like something, even though I know that's mostly in my head. Like, it's like, we're already mythic. What are we doing here, right? But that's part of the game, you know? That's part of the game is you want your rank to actually be a reflection of what you can do when you're trying, not what you can do when you're trying and there's technical difficulties. So I take that day off and I did the play queue. And the play queue... <laughs> I believe Shrines, you. Mill, and Ugin... <laughs> Like endless shrines and mill and Ugin and not like not a, like a lot of stuff I kind of expected like the Demir peer into the abyss to fairies tutelage deck. Um, there's like turbo mill wilderness reclamation to fairies tutelage decks. Um, there's a million ways to cast Ugin. Like as soon as you're like the opponent goes turn one grazer, turn two cultivate, turn three cultivate, and you're like yeah, you, I I can leave now. You, you, you know, know what's I don't coming. have to. It's it's not it's okay. You know what's um, coming. So, it's it's either they play their final card and it's a land and they promptly die, or they play their final card, it's an Ugin and you promptly die. That's pretty much how it right. goes. Yeah. But shrines, dude. Shrines. Like, like why why do I have to why do I have to have like eight to twelve enchantment hate cards in every deck now? Oh, that's so to gas. even play it. To even play it in the play queue, dude. It's actually kind of amazing. You can't just mid range in the play queue. Come on now. Come on now. The shrines will get you. You know, I, I played shrines in a little bit in the ladder, and, you know, my win rate wasn't great, but I definitely clinched some games, like, you know, some real, some people playing some real sweaty decks, I was able to to clinch them with the shrines. So, you know, it's it's kind of a joke, but it's kind of not a joke. And I think uh, if, if your opponent's playing shrines and you don't take it seriously, it's going to get you. Yeah, I'm going to come back on shrines in just a second, but I'm just going to like like my play queue st- like my ranked story when I launched into ranked again was very much it like every match was Ugin. Like every single match was Simic, Bant, Teamer, Sultai, 
like all flavors, all, all everything of the was flavors. <laughs> and yeah, like you, you have a band list on the screen that we're going to talk about. Yeah, and, uh, there's just a number of cards I wouldn't even run right now because of Ugin, mm-hmm. and I would not like this. Is I know that Yorian is pretty nice, mm. but that deck needs to answer Ugin because Ugin is just like, oh, that's cute. You have all these enchantments. Goodbye. Yeah, all of it. Yeah, it, you all know, of it gone. The, so the nasty thing about Ugin too is anything that you can play in that Yorian deck, Ugin can sweep. Right? It's like mm-hmm. double Dream Trawler. Ugin doesn't give a crap, man. Like Ugin sweeps no. them all away and and lives. Right? So right. Yeah. So, yeah. So Ugin is an interesting. If we're getting into the format, big picture wise, I feel like this is one of the most. This is this is a set that has so many Robins and a Batman or uh, like a mil- <laughs> for the WWE fans a million Marty Janettis and one Shawn Michaels like there's a ton of role players and enablers in this set yeah but there's only one card that is a new way to win the freaking game and everything else is kind of what we've already experienced in this format for the last several months. It feels like a year we've been playing this format. But Ugin is the new thing. Ugin is the, oh, well, I guess I can't actually expect to develop a board with a ton of enchantments and have that work out. I can't expect Dream Trawler to carry me. Like, Ugin is the new granddaddy of the format. And all the other cards are in the supporting cast role of they help other decks, but they don't win the game. They don't get to be the star. So that's the way I've seen it so far. My like you're saying that you had a very varied experience on ladder. All I had, all I've had on ladder today and yesterday was Ugin. That's it. And that could just be like the low mythic versus high mythic disparity there. Um, I also would imagine that if you jump into the best of three Q, you're going to see just a, a metric ton of Ugin happening there as well. Um, yeah, Bant. Like watching watching my favorite streamers, Crokies especially. I, it's so much Bant and it's so yeah. much Team Erek that because Team Erek interacts with Ugin, U- interacting with an Ugin on the stack is the new hotness. You know, Negate yeah. is a real magic card again all of a sudden. So that's like what it is right now in those on the at least in ranked ladder. It seems like it. Yeah, yeah. Well, and and you know. Hot take as well and hot news, like Shark Typhoon is as good against Ugin as it was against Teferi as well, you know? I mean, that's Ooh, that's yep. that's one of those few cards that can kind of at least get you back to parity against your opponent's Ugin, so... As long as you don't hard cast it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just... There's never been a worse time to hard cast your Shark Typhoon, I tell you what. It is a shame, isn't it, how, like, we look at this this new set and I think Wizards' byline is often like, look, we know that you want us to fix the format, but we're going to release this new set that's ostensibly going to just fix that for you. And it turns out that the cards that they printed have just replaced the previous top end in the existing decks. So it's kind of like they haven't really so much shaken up the format as they've just given existing decks new tools to basically do the same thing that they were doing before. And that is a weird thing that I don't feel like has been as common in Magic. I've been thinking about this a lot today. I want to make a list of like what Wizards wants because it seems like they're printing a card. They're printing cards in every set now that support specific archetypes as opposed to having a set that really supports an archetype and then they chill for a while. When you think about 
Ugin, Ugin and Croxa are two great ways to look at this. It's like they obviously printed two cards in a set that otherwise has nothing to do with ramp and sacrifice. They printed two cards that just are good for those decks. Uh, do, and do you mean Uro, Uro and Croxa? Uro. What did yeah. I say? Ugin. My bad. But they're very close. My bad. They're very close. So Uro. Yeah. yeah. So in, 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 in Theros, a set that's mostly about enchantments and gods, they just randomly have these two titans that go right into existingly good decks. Yeah. And then Ikoria, it's like Luris and... Luris is like this companion that's perfect for these sacrifice decks. And Obosh, like they got two companions. It's nuts. And now we look in M21, and what do we have here? We have another huge payoff for Ramp and Ugin, but on top of that, we have Cultivate. On yeah. top of that, we have Solemn Simulacrum. We, we, Elvish Vi- Lanoir Visionary. Yeah. Like it's so obvious that they want Ramp to be a thing because there's something great for it in set after set after set and sacrifice is the same village rights set you know that's the new one Mm -hmm. set after set after set there's something for sacrifice and then set after set after set there's another mopey life gain card that you guys get excited about that will (laughs) never actually work and you know what wizards wants just it it feels like it keeps things the same yeah you know what i mean i do and it's kind of like it's like, what was the last truly excellent aggro card that we got in Standard? It was probably Embercleave, right? Like, the the kind of card that would really motivate a person to play aggro. I mean, I guess you could argue that Obosh was was kind of an aggro, you know, push for, for Ikoria before they nerfed the Companions. But it does feel like they've been kind of... Um, they just haven't really been giving aggros like the tools to really push through and be like a tier one archetype in the meta, unless we've missed something from M21. But, you know, Basri certainly doesn't seem to be getting there in this set. You know, I haven't seen any like Subira decks. Uh, You know what I mean? It's just like, I'm not, whatever tools they're giving us don't really seem to be quite getting us there. Yeah. I have been clowned a bit though by the cavalcade make a million one one things the the one three that gains double strike yeah that thing yeah that, that thing's trouble oof. that thing and trouble. chandra's incinerator like that deck's been clowning me a bit but. <laughs> it, that's that deck's definitely the new like gotta you gotta have the removal or you gotta have the something or you're just definitely dying to it yeah, that deck doesn't play Embercleave. I mean, yeah. is is Embercleave just bad for aggro in a format with Teferi, a ton of Ether Gusts, and like Uro? I it just seems like it's not enough. So okay, well, so let's start talking about some of these archetypes because I think sure. you know. Uh, so so we're talking about aggro and Embercleave. So why don't we talk about one of the decks that I put on the list here, affectionately named Pawblade. throwback to Corblade so Corblade was birds and swords Corblade is dogs and swords and um, this was a deck which uh, Felix slew definitely popularized and perhaps brewed X-File is that yeah he goes by X-File on MTGO oh okay there you go yep 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 so you know very very skilled player and accomplished deck builder and uh, he put together this deck, and it features some of the cool cool cards from this new set, including Alpine Huntmaster, which is, you know, actually just a very solid three for one. Also features... I mean, it's a new card. Do we want to tell people what they do? 
Uh, yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, so so Alpine Huntmaster, it costs a red and a white, and it is a 2-2. And when it enters the battlefield, you can search your library for two distinct cards. Yeah, it's Alpine Watchdog and or Igneous... Igneous? Igneous, yes, that's right. Yeah, a, a, a puppy and a kitty. <laughs> it, searches, it searches for a bad limited card and or another bad limited card. They're the both dogs, that, though. You should yeah, know. Oh, okay. Oh, they are both dogs. I guess it's a hound master. Yep, yep. So, you know, so the watchdog is a 2-2 vigilance and the cur is a 1-2 for 2 a red card and it pumps plus 2 plus 0 for, I think it's 1 and a red. So, yeah, these are definitely like draft chaff commons but it turns out that being able to spend two mana to pull two of them from your deck is a potentially standard playable level of card advantage going on there and so so this deck's definitely leveraging that particular interaction and then it's it's a winota deck basically Uh, it's not hard on the winota only running two copies some lists run three copies but then you have kind of like your, you have your Legion War Boss, you have some Tajiks in the deck, and it does run Embercleaves as a top end. So this is kind of like emerging as the week one premier aggro archetype in the format. Premier. Oh my gosh. You are good with the hype terms. I, I want to throw in really quickly, the Houndmaster had a little more text. It gets oh, plus it does. X plus O for each creature that attacks when it attacks. Yeah. Which is really good with Embercleave. Now, it go is. on. I'm sorry to cut you off. No, no, no. That's a good c- clarification. So that it kind of plays the role of Anax in this deck. Admittedly, from a different vector, but it, it's kind of doing the same thing. This deck is one of the decks I've been seeing on the ladder, which most leverages the power of, you know, like quite a number of new cards. If you look down the list, you know, it's running the Selfless Savior, the bestest doggo. One of the things I was surprised by is that this deck is not running the dog lord and i wonder at that maybe it's just that there wasn't room for it maybe you know we needed too many you know like maybe we needed a critical mass of humans we need the far ember cleaves it's running bone crusher giant and i have to imagine that that's a concession to just having removal right because i feel like if you didn't need the removal you would much rather run that the the hound lord right that would be kind of my my take on it you only got eight pups dude like but i mean you really it's not a tribal deck but you 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 search them up pretty consistently you know what i mean yeah but i mean that's part of it is like are you even do you even want to cast them if you have better things to do it's it's kind of like the 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 cur and the watchdog that you get from the houndmaster they're they're the backup you know they're 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 the pips all right, they they're in the background, like the the creatures, like Warboss, Winota, Embercleave. You know, th- that's Gladys Knight. Okay, that's that's the main part of the show. Everybody else is the 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 puppos are nice to have. They're good backup if you get swept, but they're the pips. Let's let's be real. They're not the stars. <laughs> but I mean, if you can buff them, eh, eh, eh. Oh my gosh! Well, like and- like a buff pip is still a pip. <laughs> so at any rate um this deck seems like a lot of fun i would definitely try it out uh especially since you know 
if like like for example if you're the kind of person who doesn't have a million rare rare and mythic wild cards lying around from the previous set you need to spend no new rares to get this deck so you can just throw a bunch of commons and uncommons from the new set and have you know a fairly competitive aggro deck on your hands so, so have you played this I have not played this myself. I was watching it uh, being played on the CFB showdown that was happening mm-hmm. today. Yeah, we might have watched it. We might have watched the same match. Go on. Yeah, exactly. And uh, it it did get trounced a little bit by the the Ozov Yorian deck. It just kind of outvalued it. But I I think that this deck can definitely have some pretty explosive sequences. Putting Embercleave and Winota in the same deck, you really get that kind of rolling the dice aspect of your deck where like you have these turn threes and turn fours that are just utterly explosive and dominant and game ending. But then, you know, if your opponent's able to to sweep your board or control your early aggression, then cards like Embercleave and Winota can end up looking pretty impotent in your hand. So I think that the deck suffers from that that kind of swinginess. Right. I I have thrown this deck into Arena. I have all these cards. Please do announce. (laughs) I'm so ready to go now. I'm so ready to play my aggro Winota doggy deck. Do you mean to tell me, CGB, that you actually have draft cards in your collection? I actually do, because you can't can't remove them from all the packs I have to, (laughs) like, pointlessly throw money at. And I will have you know, I did... Four drafts today. You did four drafts. I did. You heard it here first, folks. Collective record 0 and 12. Okay. <laughs> by okay. resigning every single one of them without playing a game, buddy. Okay. Taste it. <laughs> you just, you know, you always leave me hanging there, CGB. Dude. I, I go for the high five. I broke the draft format. It's called Top Left. You will always get a rare, mythic, uncommon. Whatever the best thing you can get for your full uh, progress. Top left. CGB, you're the reason why people like me can't have fun drafting. Because I'm like halfway through pack two and I'm like, what in the actual heck is going on with this draft? Like, here I am trying to like put together some synergistic sacrifice deck or whatever. And meanwhile, there's, you know, this like yolo yobo sitting to my left who's just like happily clicking in the upper left corner (laughs) top left it's broken you'll never regret it yep yep i got 11 rares and mythics from one draft i was so happy yeah that's that's pretty good value right all right cool so that's that's one of the decks that you could possibly be playing why don't we talk about this this uh, particular bant ramp ugin deck here just a little bit do you want to sure. kind of take us through the guts of this deck? Yeah, so we're looking at uh, Yeoman 5's Bant Ramp, as he calls it, 1.5. This is Hydrag Crisis, two of those, two Brazen Borrower, three Uros, four Teferi Time Raveler, three Teferi Master of Time, three Nissas, two Ugin the Spirit Dragon, four ECD, two Dovin's Veto, four Spiral, three Shatter the Sky. And 28 lands of various bant bantiness. And in the sideboard, we have a lot of cheap interaction cards to go with one Scavenging Ooze and two Jorail, the Moenvuli Recluse. So first thing looking at it, I've been watching Crokies play a ridiculous amount of bant. And one thing that's become obvious, and you're not going to like it, um, Elspeth Conquer's death is more important than it's ever been. Oh, I mean... Oh my gosh, 
Easily. That is that that is part of the thing going on with these Ugin decks is you have to have a plan against the other Ugin decks and the person with ECD against the person without it or with less of them in their Ugin deck is severely disadvantaged because it's one of the cleaner, better ways to just manage the opponent's Ugin and then it can it threatens to get back your Ugin if they don't deal with it. So for example, I thought like Simic Ramp might be okay, right? You could play mass manipulation with Hydroid Crisis and Ugin as your top end. It's not okay. Elspeth Conquer's death just runs you right out of there. Another thing I want to point out on this deck, um, the Joriel Moenvuli Recluse. I like that card. It's exactly what I thought it would be for a good sideboard juke. Uh, Crokies has been running it in the main. When you get to just add make a 2-2 cat to every single one of your effects that says draw a card, like Teferi Time Raveler... <laughs> for example, and Uro. That's pretty nuts. Pretty strong. But I've... Oh, it, the problem is it's only strong against normal decks. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, it's not good in the Ugin mirror. Not really. Because you can make all the tutus you want. They're eventually just getting kicked off the board by the Spirit Dragon or something more powerful in general going on, getting outclassed by Nissa's 3-3s, etc., and that's why I think the card is right at home. I recorded today a Bant Ramp version where the main thing I wanted to test was this card, the Recluse. And I had three in the main deck. Just never mattered. Just we were I was just constantly trying to win an Ugin arms race, so this card didn't matter. So it requires a meta where the opponent tries to do weird stuff like attack you with creatures and worry about the battlefield. And then this card is good. But I think it belongs in the sideboard for now. Another card that Crokies has been high on is Scavenging Ooze. And I have seen that card look amazing in the mirrors because if you have Ooze and your opponent doesn't, their ECDs don't matter as much and their Uros do nothing. So, yeah. And yeah. I think Ooze is it's like the ultimate tech against one of these Bant decks. I think because like, how do they get rid of it? The only like the only cards I can see in these decks that get rid of it: the Shatter the Skies, Ugin, of course, and then maybe like Glass Casket from the sideboard. Yeah, it's it's actually a lot harder to deal with than it looks. Yeah, and totally, it's like if you're the player who ends up with a stocked graveyard and your opponent does not, then yeah, you're easily going to win that matchup. So. Scoos, you know, proving its power against these more controlling decks as well as being very good against, you know, the Cat Oven decks and quite passable against the aggro decks. So definitely just a super solid role player in the format, like we expected. It's it's good to see. And it is something that I think we have to explore more with Ooze in decks that seem like they don't want to be value decks because you just don't want to lose to Uro, and you don't want to lose to the Elspeth Con- Conqueror's Death Chapter 3. So you might want Mono Green, Gruel, decks like this. Probably need to explore doing some scavenging, doing some oozing about. Yeah, solid role player. Super happy to have it in the format. And I think just a, kind of a balanced power level card as well. All right, so let's talk about uh, one of these such decks that you might consider running the ooze in. Now, another archetype which we've been seeing on the ladder as kind of like a viable mid-range aggro plan 
is this kind of Selesnya counters thing. Now, of course, you know, I have a predilection for the mono green. And so any mono green mage was going to look at Conclave Mentor and, you know, Basri's Lieutenant as two cards that could fit very well into the kind of strategy that are, are you sure a mono green mage doesn't look at them and say you other colors Gross. well okay so we'll so we'll get into that we'll get into that okay okay bit. go on so go on. so this is like the jealous girlfriend meme right <laughs> well <laughs> like okay. the mono green mage is walking down the street and looking over his shoulder at these you know white cards <laughs> walking by they got nice booties, I gotta and they, say. They, they have some nice booties, and they certainly help to make those, here. those booties ever bigger as the, as the match goes on. Okay, so, so day one of the format, I saw people posting these decks that just... They just hurt my heart, CGB. It hurt my heart to see people posting these decks. They were running, like, your, your normal mono-green aggro list with... Let's, let's run down the list. With Barkhide Troll, with Yorvo... With Vivian Arkbow Ranger, all of these cards in the main. Let me tell you, friends, if you are going to play a green aggro deck with all three of those cards in it, you cannot have any other colors in your deck. Forget it. Just take that deck, drag it into the trash, try again. Not gonna work. But 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 Arjuna, they they have counters, and uh, Conquave Mentor have counters. Arjuna, this is something that I learned playing my mono green deck is that Barkhide Troll is really good on turn two and really mediocre on turn four. <laughs> if you play any of these creatures off curve, you you feel like you've already lost the game. So the first thing that I did when I was putting together a Selesnya counters list was I took every single triple pip card in the deck and just tossed it right out. The next thing that I did was I made sure that the only cards in the deck that did have double pips in them were cards that you would want to play probably turn four or later. So I came up with a list, which is by no means, you know, like a definitive way to build this deck, but this is just kind of what I was working with. And and it, it does take the guts of the mono green deck. So we're running four Pelt Collector, four Stone Coil Serpent, two Voracious Hydra, which is one of the payoff, you know, one of the big payoffs for the mentor, three Ram Through, three Scavenging Ooze Main, four Wild Bomb Preserver, four Conclave Mentor, three Watley's Raptor, three Basri's Lieutenant, three Gem Razor, and three Questing Beasts. Now, these are just kind of numbers that I pulled out of, out of my big butt. This is by no means the definitive way to build the list, but this was just kind of my first draft of seeing what a green-white counters deck might look like in standard. And I, my initial report is that this archetype looks quite strong, and it has the potential to sit in a similar spot that the mono green aggro deck has been doing in standard. And, uh, you know, that deck's still putting up results. Like, speaking of the CFB showcase, I was just watching Rint have a, a fairly good run in the showcase using his mono green list. So I think people are still going to be thinking about this stuff. I can tell you that playing a Pelt Collector into a turn two Conclave Mentor feels pretty good. Into like a, a four four Stone Coil Serpent on turn three, that also feels really good. And Basri's Lieutenant really does deliver on the promise of giving your deck staying power. So, like, I I, th- I think that Basri's Lieutenant is definitely a card to keep your eye on 
Like, it did a lot of work for me in these matchups. Now, granted, none of this is going to matter if your opponent gets to Ugin territory, so the main plan with this deck is just to kill him before that happens. So when I look at this deck, because I, I just re- put out a video with the Conclave Mentor quote-unquote deck, and yours is a, quite a bit different from mine, so I have questions. Yeah, lay it on me. My deck is using is just trying to maximize the plus one plus one counters like if i if i can get one counter i want two if i can get two i want four so i'm gonna ask a, a, about a few cards did you try out wildwood scourge the hydra that like gets a counter whenever a counter goes on something else uh the same scourge that you poo-pooed in our set review that one of course. <laughs> Did you try it? No, I'm curious if you tried it because it's not being used here. Why Why zig if you could zag, right? No, no, I, I have not tried that card out yet. Okay. My, my experience was that you end up playing it as a 1-1 way too often. <laughs> yeah. And then you're like hoping it gets bigger later, but a 1-1 doesn't live very long these yeah. days. And, not, and even if it starts getting bigger, it's like usually the next turn you play one thing and now you have a 2-2. And then on a good curve, maybe you have a Loxodon the next turn, and then you have an 8-8, but it just doesn't make it that far. And Loxodon's the other card I'm asking about, but this version doesn't have the one drops, does it? It just, so, Loxodon's so slow. So here's the thing. I actually did build a version of the deck using Loxodon, and I was going for a much more tokens uh, version. And I actually, I was trying out, I'm not saying it's good, people, I'm not saying it's good, but I was trying out um, that card from, boy, why am I forgetting the name of it? It's it's a 2-2 that gets a plus one, plus one counter for each token that enters the battlefield under your control. Uh, something champion, Woodland Champion. Yeah, Woodland Champion, exactly. So I was trying out a list that was playing like Raise the Alarm, I had a couple of Basri's, um, I had... A couple of other ways to make tokens. I had the champion. I had the, you know, I had the Loxodon. And that deck was definitely, it was not epic. It suffered from all the usual problems with Loxodon, which is like, when you draw Loxodon, your Loxodon deck feels amazing. And when you don't, it can feel pretty impotent. I feel like Loxodon got a lot just worse as the tempo of the format got worse. Because now if you take a turn off from attacking it feels yes. like winning is a mile away yes right? that's such a good point cgb i had so many board states when i had the loxodon in my hand but i just couldn't cast it because i a either needed to attack to press the advantage or b wanted to block right so yeah loxodon you know it just it's been feeling like a liability i mean i did have these amazing turns where you know, you have a Conclave Mentor out and you locks it on and, you know, you feel like a god and you win that game. But yeah, it's just, it's iffy. So yeah, and definitely a deck like this is is way too mid-rangey to consider playing a Loxodon for sure. Yeah, you say it's mid-rangey. So this feels more like a monsters deck. Like it really is playing this position game. Did you try... Growth Chamber Guardian, because the first thing I see is I, I like I don't get the Wildborn Preservers because it seems mana intensive and Growth Chamber Guardian seems like a lot of value there. Did you try it? Listeners might remember from my discussion with Rint, but Growth Chamber Guardian is probably my least favorite green stompy card that has been printed. Okay. Blind spot located. Got it. It's a blind spot. <laughs> 
<laughs> more like more like microscope disproven card in my opinion i mean uh, our preeminent mono green mage rent has deigned to cut the growth chamber guardians from his great hand deck so if that tells you anything about the the power or lack thereof i could go on for a long time about why i don't like growth chamber guardian but the tldr is i think that that card is ass okay uh i i'll give it a try We'll see what happens. Give it a try. See what you think about it. I'm. I mean, this is definitely a first draft of the deck. Uh, I'll put a link to this in the show notes. No, it's not. Come on, you put you put a, you put hours of contemplation and potential gaming thoughts into this deck. Don't lie to me. Don't lie to the people. Well, here's the thing. I've put literally weeks of my life into the mono green deck, and so this was like this was like keeping as much of that deck as I could while getting these good white cards into it. So that's that's basically what you're seeing here, CGB, is I like I was like, if I put these good white cards into my deck, what are the cards I need to cut to make room for them? And that's it. <laughs> so that's gotcha. that's kind of where we've gotten. But I would love to hear your take on it. There are many ways to build this deck. I'm sure that the best one's going to emerge in, you know, in the near future because it's you know, who knows whether it'll be like tier one viable, but it is definitely an archetype that is worth figuring out the best version of. My experience so far, and I did play around with a lot of different cards for it, was was not good. Like, I, I, I had a pretty bad time trying to make this deck work. So I'm willing to try more stuff. I definitely didn't run something quite as close to green stompy as this. So worth a shot. This is one of my big questions is like, is this going to end up being better than Green Stompy? And my initial testing is I'm not sure. I, I think the Stompy deck is better. It might be. I think Garrick is good, and I think Primal Might is good. Yeah, it definitely might be. And so that's kind of one of the that's the one of the hypotheses that I'm gonna test. I mean, losing Vivian is just such a, a big blow. And, you know, yeah, there are other cards like, yeah, Yavo is fantastic. Barkhide Troll is fantastic, right? So the payoff really needs to be there. And I'm not sure that it is, but it's definitely been fun messing around with it. Cool. All right. I wanted to come back to, just because we didn't fully focus on, um, a lot of these Simic X decks have been running the new Teferi, Master of Time. And I wanted to just discuss that card with you briefly and kind of get your take on what it's doing in the format. I have not played against it all that much. It has definitely looked fine in the games I've played against it, and it's definitely ended up being threatening in certain spots. But um, do you think that it's really pulling its weight in these decks? I feel like Teferi Master of Time is definitely a Robin, not a Batman. But is it's a really good Robin. Like... Like, like if Ur- Uro is a bat, Uro is definitely a Batman, and Teferi is just feeding Uro and helping you get through your decks. Teferi continues to play into this trend in Magic where we run a huge land count because if you miss a land, you you're dead. But you need you need all your cards if you run that many lands. All your cards have to replace themselves and draw more cards, or else you'll run out of spells. But Teferi just replaces them for you, like. And usually at, at the rate of two every turn cycle, unless the opponent does something about it. Teferi Master of Time is the second Teferi to just dunk on Embercleave. Just absolutely dunk on that card. Because whatever you Embercleave, he just phases it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's absolutely gross. So another, just another bad thing going on for 
the mono red, trying to keep all these evil mid-range ramp and control decks in check and just failing, failing to do it. Oh, I'm so sad. I'm so sad. Can you tell? <laughs> now, let, let me ask you this, though. Because I know this is going to come up. If your ramp deck goes turn turn three to fairy into turn four to fairy, is that enough to stem the bleeding? Like, is that enough to justify the place of those planeswalkers in their deck? Because I imagine that, you know, like if the if the red mage has managed to get a couple of, if they curve out like their usual one drop and a two drop into three drop, you know, or, or two, you know, a one drop and a two drop on turn three, like, don't they just tempo your Teferis out ultimately, or is it enough? Well, killing the Teferi isn't even their goal. I mean, it, de- it definitely depends on the context, but think about the line that you just described. If you play turn three Teferi and bounce their, if they went first, their three drop, if they went second, their two drop, they play something again, and then they kill the Teferi and they get him for like two points of damage. You're probably at like 14, 12 at the lowest, unless they did the fervent double fervent champion thing. Uh, the next turn you play Master of Time, you plus that, you say go. Like, this is the turn they want to play Torbran or Embercleave. Both of those are at least reasonably answered by Master of Time to give you another turn. Now, the real question is, what are you going to do with your next turn? If you are the player who used Master of Time to phase out the Embercleave creature, and this is where it gets complicated. This is where it gets awkward. Because if your next play is a Shatter the Sky or an Elspeth Conquers Death, and you use Teferi to phase out the opponent's creature, it just comes back. It dodges those things. So it's almost like, and this is what I found playing with Master of Time, and the thing that I think most people are going to have to figure out, it's the threat of the phase that matters, not actually doing it. Mm, Most of the time, I let them figure out their attacks. I let their damage go through. I let them kill the Teferi if they attacked it with enough. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then they didn't play their Embercleave, or their Torbrand is sitting on the battlefield, but they threw resources at Teferi and said in my face, right? And then I untap and I ECD and then you shatter, or, shatter. or something. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Yep. I I like that, and it is that is the thing about the card is that like you just you have so many options with it. A planeswalker that loots twice for you and slows your opponent down is. Often the you know the only thing that one of these bant decks needs to get to the mid game. The deck's not trying to win on the early turns. The deck's just trying to get to like six, seven, eight mana and just build like an insurmountable mana advantage. Yeah, yeah. Let me tell you another great thing about the Master of Time for best of one for you best of one gamers out there. Normally, I hate running cards like that are too narrow in my best of one decks because I have nothing to do with them if I draw them in the wrong matchup. Master of Time gladly turns them into fresh cards again and again and again. So like I have a Demir deck right now, right? Uh, normally in Demir, I'm, I'm really, I'm, I'm stuck with pretty bad answers, quite honestly. I can't really spend a lot of spots in my Demir deck to deal with enchantments, artifacts, graveyards, expensive cards, Ugin, you know, all these things. But then I realized, well, if I'm playing four Teferi Master of Time, I can run two Grafdigger's Cage. I can run two Aethergust. I can run two Disdainful Stroke. I can run two Negate. All these cards that would normally be terrible. And Teferi just either helps you get to them or just pitches them when they suck. And you haven't lived until you have thrown down the turn one Grafdigger's Cage and had the opponent just 
like look at their their witch's oven deck and just scoop. <laughs> oh. Turn I, one kill in Mythic with Grafdigger's Cage. I love that. I love like like turn one on the play. Boom, Grafdigger's Cage, and your cat oven opponents just like nuts. <laughs> well, it would. It was. I, it's way more effective on the draw, of course, because they already have their cat on the field, right, right, hand, right, and that's the only reason they kept. But yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. it's great. It's yeah. wonderful. That's but awesome. I, I think that that changes because when Chemistry's Insight wasn't too slow, when Chemistry's Insight was a good card for the format, you could run these narrow cards in your Esper decks because you could always discard them to jumpstart Insight. Teferi brings it back at a power level that is current Magic. It's not the backbone of your deck but it's a crucial role player and how often are you just like pitching an ugin to the teferi because you're going to get it back later with an ecd is that like a common play pattern as well it hasn't happened to me yet but it sounds delightful i like getting an ugin for free instead of paying seven mana for it eight mana for it so yeah i mean that sounds great but it hasn't happened to me yet that's one of the benefits of running a card like Teferi in a deck like this is that ramp is great in the early game, which is when you want to play it. Ramp is not so good in the late game. You have these awkward hands where, let's say, you keep a, a hand which is five excellent cards that you want to play in the early game, but then it's got two Ugins in it or something, and you, you have mm-hmm. these kind of awkward hands. And so I feel like Teferi Master of Time helps you to balance your enablers and your payoffs and just sculpt your hand and ditch whichever side of the equation you're getting too much of that you don't need. Yeah, that's a perfect way to put it. Absolutely. Cool. All right. So we're getting to around the hour here. I just wanted to talk about a few individual cards that we had discussed on the podcast and uh, give us a little little gloating and rubbing potential here. Okay. Because what fun is life if you can't razzle your friends, right? So right before we hopped on this podcast, CGB, I was happening to watch the CFB showdown, and uh, I was watching a Team Erec player cast Soulseer in a featured match in in a competitive game of Arena. What does this card <laughs> even do? Hold on. <laughs> Soulseer, my friend, is the two and a red instant that deals five damage to a creature or planeswalker, which you told me was going to be flagrantly unplayable in standard. <laughs> it is. I mean, I'm not saying you can't put it in a deck and cast it. I'm just saying. <laughs> I had to throw that one in your face. However, what were they soulseering? What were, what were they doing with it? Oh, they were they were killing the wolf, my friend. It was excellent. The wolf. The, the wolf. The, the flash wolf. Okay. I I just okay fine I it's like that's okay I guess why not essence scatter I I don't understand it's a, it's, a, it's a versatile answer. So this is the nice thing, right? A removal spell which can kill both your opponent's resolved to fairy and your opponent's resolved night pack ambusher. That's pretty strong, right? Especially in a deck that has approximately a billion mana and doesn't really care about the mana cost, which does describe Team Erec. So I think that's pretty good, right? If your one spell can kill Yorian, Teferi, Nosset, Ambusher, I don't know. Anyway, we'll, we'll see if that card sees more play in standard. Now, uh, in, in the match right after that, I got to have it rubbed in my face as I watched Rint cast Primal Might twice mm. <laughs> out of mm. his mono green deck. 
Uh, seem pretty good. So, seem uh, pretty good. Primal Might is definitely showing up in these decks. Rint said one of the best reasons to run Primal Might in your deck is that it allows you to beat the opponent's turn to priest. Yep. On the draw, right? Yep. So if you go Llanowar Elf turn one, and then on their turn two, they play priest, you can on your turn two buff your... Any one mana one one, to be clear. It doesn't have to be a Llanowar Elf. Sorry, it's not Llanowar. It's Pelt Collector, right? You play yeah. a Pelt Collector, and then on turn two, you buff it with the, with the Primal Might take out the priest so that's a nice little bit of tech that you can run in standard now for the next one i have actually seen some of these sacrifice lists running like one or two copies of veto the dusk rose so that's another robin that i have to give for you my friend <laughs> I, I refuse to accept that one I, 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 you do. I have not seen this i've witnessed none of this oh I man not, i have not lost to this card i've had it played against me probably 50 times by now hasn't come close to hurting me it's been kind of a laughing time so i can't i can't i can't stand for it yet you can't you can neither confirm nor deny the uh, the efficacy of veto and standard so okay can i interest you in i have seen a number of gruel decks running terror of the peaks and standard like is this card actually a thing were they good did it go well well okay Ugh. Hard to say. It was. It definitely had a profound effect on the board state. One of the most threatening things that I saw was a terror. The terror of the peaks deck running the Rakdos Titan Kroxa. Sure. So sure. that's that's a cheap way to deal some damage. That's a two mana basically lava axe. <laughs> More than that, right? If they don't have a non-land discard that's that's nine damage six nine damage. that's nine damage nine to the damage. face <laughs> so and if you're at the if you're at the game state where you had enough mana to resolve your terror of the peaks you could realistically do something like croak cast croaks from your hand for two mana get your nine damage and then bring it back from the graveyard in the same turn for a potential nine more damage so <laughs> that's Ooh. that's pretty disgusting oh please there are children at home I, I know so anyway yeah do we know whether it's good i don't know but i i watched you know like i watched andrea mangucci for example reach mythic on his stream playing a gruel deck in standard which ran multiple copies of terror of the peaks so, I don't know. Maybe this card is a bit better than we drew it up to be. I haven't been able to make a deck that plays mid-range to later game Gruel good. You know, mm -hmm. I've been trying to get the, the Rada, the Corsair of Crufix effect red-green card to do something. I've been trying to do stuff with Terror of the Peaks. I've been outclassed by Ugin again and again yep. to the to the tilting point on those. But I've got I've got a few more tricks in mind for terror of the peaks i'm not finished with that card yet well it's possible that it could actually be a role player out of the sideboard in certain matchups where it just utterly dunks on the opponent so i think the go hards that i want to try like i like i like i i think that the card if you're casting it for five mana hoping to untap with it and have it do a thing is not enough i i want to cheat with this card and what i mean is let me throw some ideas. Command the Dread Horde. Ooh, there you go. Genesis Ultimatum. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mutate. Auspicious Starix into, like, this and three Ooh, other creatures. Ooh, okay, now you're talking Gruul All Mutate. Right? So, that's my juice like, going. That, that's where, 
that's what I want to explore first, because I honestly think if you're like five mana, Terror of the Peaks, go, hope something good happens to you in your life, I think you'll be disappointed. How about uh, how about some kind of Yarianing nonsense? That is interesting. If you have a Yorian and if you have... So you need to set like a Yorian Prince loop so that you yeah. loop it so that you have some creatures entering the battlefield the following turn and then you play Terror. Yeah, exactly. Maybe not. Um, I mean, these Yorian decks probably have better things to be doing, but... Yeah, it sounds like you're already winning too much. I've done this. I've lived this life. It just sounds... Sounds like I'd rather play about nine more turns of getting ahead with one ones from my omen than just ending the game, to be honest. But I kind of like the direction you're heading in here. Um, and it does. And I think that, to be fair to us, we did say that Terror of the Peaks would have to go in like some deck that was specifically focused on breaking it and not just resolving it as like a vanilla kind of five mana big play. So I think that that hits, that hits the right notes. I also did see it in a Rhythm of the Wild deck and, uh, substantially better in a deck like that too oh finally i wanted to mention that discontinuity has has just slotted right into everyone's favorite historic deck which has become basically copies five through eight of nexus of fate in that deck and uh, i just think that that's pretty cool as well (laughs) it's cool is that the word you use you know if they if they banned nexus and kept continuity I don't know. I wonder, like, Historic might be a more interesting format. Well, best of three Historic. Like, I, I I don't have these problems. You don't see such things in your arena experience. It's the, the careful curation of the experience going on there. Cool. All right. Well, I think that's going to do it for the show today. I'm really looking forward to next week's show, and we'll hopefully get to report a lot more about how the format is shaping up, solidifying, and maybe, you know... It, reinforcing or debunking some of the theories that we've been throwing around today i'm gonna say that my flash forward prediction is that ugin's still going to be top of the format next week and you know that the rest is just kind of the details but i'm really curious if by this by next week's show we will have thrown some cold water on the ugin format in the form of a few counter spells and things of that nature or if we are all still thinking that an eight drop is just fine so so i i'm curious honestly i want to see if if we're all going to ride this wave or if some people are going to start playing flash decks and rise up and defeat it well, and I have to say, you know, it's looking like they've been giving a little bit of leverage to these blue-red spellsy decks. And who knows, once Teferi rotates out of the format, Ugin might have a much harder time coming down. So, Blue-red spellsy decks. You know, you haven't tasted me. You haven't had a taste at CGB moment with your Stormwing Entity yet, have you? Well, uh, not yet. Although I've, I've seen plenty of people. <laughs> He's licking his chops. He's looking. He's digging on the internet. He's on the third page of Google. Oh. You guys looking for this. I mean, <laughs> no. On the first page of Twitter, I've seen multiple people registering these Storming Entity decks for various tournaments. I don't know how they're doing. But, you know, this... I mean, I played a number of games with it in uh, in the streamer showcase, and I was quite satisfied with the card. So... I mean, hey, I'm not I'm not gonna go to bat for it. I'm not gonna die on the hill, but I haven't I haven't given up on the entity, that's for sure. He he's he's given it just enough support so that he can rub it in my face when it works. 
And that that's what's really important. That's 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 what true friendship is. Hey, you know, CGB, I laid out a lot of hills in our set review, all right? There's, there's only so many of them I can die on, all right? Understood, understood. But what if you had nine lives? Oh my gosh, that's, that, I'm going to send us out on a story. Okay, all right? Nine freaking lives. So I'm building my blue-white control deck, which is going to be my very first deck, Eight to Fairy blue-white control. That's going to be the first deck I play of this format, because that's kind of what I'm known for, is way too much to fairy, way too much control. And I'm building a Fae of Wishes sideboard. I'm building a, I'm building this Fae of Wishes sideboard, and I've got like 14 out of 15 cards. I don't know what the last card should be, so it's like, okay, I'll just throw a nine lives in there. Just for the funsies. And I'm in like my second or third game of the streamer showcase event on twitch with over 1500 people watching i think we did hit around 2000 during this game the first two games was like ugin ramp and i just slaughtered them you know counter your ugin now you have nothing no problem third game cat slash dog tribal cat slash dog tribal curves out perfect has multiple copies of rin and series so that when i wrath they just rebuild instantly i'm digging through my deck i've like narsetted i've like to ferried i i can't find another shatter the sky i'm i'm at and I, they literally have me at one life and i have a fey of wishes and i'm like i got one more trick and i, I granted for nine lives i put that thing on the battlefield i swear this game was like 40 minutes of tense insanity with my nine lives ticking up battling these freaking cats and dogs and me being the evil blue white control mage trying to stem the attack of these mutts and these feline mobsters but nine lives they couldn't get rid of it and eventually all the doggos and kitties were dead and it was just me and my nine lives evil triumphs again it's the greatest story ever told you're welcome the sweet, bitter flavor of, of <laughs> the flavor win. You know, there's no win better than the flavor win, CGB. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's the ultimate satisfaction, which is what you will get every week if you continue to listen to this podcast. You can do so by searching for ArenaCraft Podcast wherever you look for your podcasts we are on you know stitcher we're on spotify we're on all of the major platforms so go check us out there and give us a subscribe you can also find the show on youtube shout out to our youtube listeners of which there are many you are all wonderful people thank you very much to you know i mean let's be real a lot of those people are from cgb's community so shout out to cgb's community we love all of your comments keep them coming uh really wonderful you've been making me and us focus a little bit more on the youtube platform lately so that's great and covert go blue you can find his content on youtube as well you can also find his stream on twitch and he's definitely blown up at the moment and for good reason one of the most entertaining twitch streamers at the moment just does a knockout job every stream i've seen him on so you can go check him out he streams uh monday through thursday 4 p.m eastern Thank you guys for joining us, and I look forward to talking about the standard format again next week. Thank you. Goodbye.